I'm Jennifer Wing. This is Transmission. Now that most students are back in school in the Northwest, there are a lot of feelings going around. Many parents have watched their kids struggle to learn from a screen. A lot of kids have become depressed, isolated, and frankly, just disengaged this past year. Speaking from personal experience as a mom of two teenagers, most parents are thrilled to hand over the full responsibility of their child's education back over to teachers. We are happy to see our kids get out of the house and into an actual classroom with other people their own age. In this episode of Transmission, we hand things over to Oregon Public Broadcasting's podcast, Class of 2025. It's following 27 middle school students all the way through high school. The first and second seasons are an up-close view into the world of what it's like to be a kid in middle school right now, and you should really check it out. It's an ambitious, beautiful project. So with just a few months left in the school year, classrooms, they're coming back to life. But there are students who have been thriving this pandemic, doing school from home, who might not be eager to go back into a classroom. Regular in-person school has not been a safe place for them. For black and brown students, school in normal times can be a source of stress. It's a place where some students of color experience racism almost every day. Oregon Public Broadcasting's Elizabeth Miller has more in this episode of Class of 2025. Back when school was in person, Josh would come home tired. Yeah, I used to come home and just lay down, go to sleep for like hours, wake up for dinner, go to bed. That's Josh's mom, Sharnissa, talking in the background. She noticed it too. It wasn't the work that was exhausting. It was more about just navigating middle school and navigating his environment. You look at my baby's eyes when he used to come home, he was tired. He was mentally tired. He was tired. I can't even imagine the distractions, the, the, the different interactions he was having. He would, he would be tired. See, middle school is challenging for a lot of reasons. But for Black students and Black boys, like Josh, school can be even harder because they're often dealing with more than algebra or writing an essay. They're dealing with systemic racism and the bias that shows up at school. In classrooms, in textbooks, in dress codes. It's everywhere. Plus, in middle school, kids' bodies and brains are changing a lot. Academics are harder, and there's drama everywhere. Psychology researcher Dr. Jahari Harris says students typically need three things for middle school success. First, they need to feel confident. Feeling confident is a really important thing. Second, they need to feel connected. Feeling like they belong in these spaces. And the third thing, independence having a sense of autonomy over their choices. Harris is a professor at the University of Virginia, where she studies Black youth and the impact of culture and identity on education. She says research shows those three things don't come as easily for Black students. We know Black boys are more often policed by teachers, so that right there takes away their sense of autonomy. Black boys are often more likely to be placed in special education programs, academic behavioral times. So that kind of speaks to feelings of competence. And then belonging, you know, Black students are more likely to be disciplined. And so we see like those three foundational elements to having a you know positive school experience are, you know, very quickly disrupted for Black students. These students have a harder time getting what they need, and the data shows it. 
there are big gaps between black and white students in academic achievement, in discipline, and in who makes it to graduation day. Nationally, there's a 10-point gap between black and white students when it comes to graduation. But let's talk about Oregon specifically. In 2018, 80% of Oregon's white students graduated. For black students, it was 68%. Black students are more likely to be disciplined than white students, and less likely to be identified as talented and gifted. There are so many numbers and stats I could throw in here. But the best way to understand black students' experience is to talk to them. So today, we'll get to know Rayshawn and Josh. I'm Elizabeth Miller, and this is the Class of 2025 podcast. We've spent time getting to know a number of the students, parents, and teachers who are part of the Class of 2025's journey to high school. For this last episode, we're going to focus on two students we've been following, Josh, who you just heard from, and Rayshawn. They both have firsthand experience with how the education system can fail Black students. We're going to start with Rayshawn. Rayshawn is a bright kid. He's a talented athlete. He wants to be a football player when he grows up. And he's shy with new people, which can make him seem a little standoffish. He liked school more when he was younger. He says middle school's confusing, and the schoolwork is getting harder. Yeah, it's getting harder, and then, like, some stuff, like, I don't get Coming to Ron Russell Middle School was a big adjustment all around. The classes were harder, but there were way more students and way more drama, too. I'm more like people. I just like, just like want to start stuff. Like want to start like arguments and fights? Mm-hmm. When kids start fighting at school, Rayshawn tries to steer clear. You know, I just get away from it. Is it hard to do that sometimes, though? Sometimes. And Rayshawn's teachers know he's not one to pick a fight. Instead, they know him for being an athlete, football mostly, or for being the class clown. But in Rayshawn's first days of middle school, of sixth grade, something happened that made him want to fight. He said someone called him a name, the N-word. Oh, so I was in band, and then he was like, he was like, he was like here, N-word, and then I was like, bro, don't say that. And then he was like, he said it again, I was like, I was like, and I told Miss Garcia, she didn't, like, hey, just don't say it. And then I was on recess, and I was like, I was like, just don't say it. And then he was like, said it again. So then, I'm like, that fight in sixth grade forced a conversation about race at home, which isn't something Rayshawn's family talks about a lot. His dad, Rayshawn Sr., is black. His mom, Casey, is white. And for me, it was really hard. Like, I don't know why I'm talking to my 10-year-old at the time about racist people. But my biggest fear is he has not only racist kids that he has to worry about, he has cops he has to worry about, but he also has kids that are his same age and his same color who think they're, they're going to be out here being gang members, which is a full-on fear, him getting shot, him getting caught up in gangs. That incident was the beginning of a bumpy middle school experience for Rayshawn. But it wasn't his parents' first time dealing with Ron Russell Middle School. I never liked the school. Mm -mm. It started years ago with Rayshawn's older sister. We have a 21-year-old daughter who went there when she was in 7th or 8th grade, and we had the same exact issues, and that was 10 years ago. Casey says the school had a habit of not sharing important information. Rayshawn would get in trouble 
or struggle in his classes, and his parents wouldn't hear about it until it was too late. They have more than one story. First, there were the lunch detentions. Rayshawn, like so many other black students, was disciplined often. We had, I mean, hundreds of lunch detentions. I didn't even know about. Not one single lunch detention did I know about until I went in there talking with the counselor. And after was they having school detention too, and then they tried to tell us. Yeah. And they said, well, we were going to make them. I said, you're not going to make my son stay after school. And when Rayshawn was struggling with his grades, his parents say they didn't hear it from the school. But if you're not calling me and my child's failing every single class, that's an issue. The school says progress reports get sent out monthly. Plus, there's an online portal where parents can see their students' grades. But Rayshawn's parents had a technical issue that even the school district's IT team couldn't figure out. That's fixed now. And then there was the time on the bus, when other kids said Rayshawn flipped off a principal. He was suspended from a football game because they thought that maybe he had uh, flipped off a principal at a school. Rayshawn Jr. said he didn't do it. So his dad went to investigate. I went and talked to the students that were on the bus. And they were like, did he do this? And they were like, he didn't do it. But a kid that was behind him did. But why? Like, why would they, like, single him out? Or? I think because... I because, think a lot of kids get singled out. I think because, well, he was being, um, he was causing problems with those teachers. He was causing problems with those people. He, you know, they say something to him, he doesn't fit, I'm walking out of class, I'm not doing this. When I asked Rayshawn about all of this, he didn't really want to talk about it, but his mom did. He didn't really care because he probably didn't want to get in trouble. I would say 80% of all children, if they're too overwhelmed and have piled up so much on so much on so much, I'm like that as an adult. I mean, if there's three loads of laundry, I'm good. But if there's 50, I'm shutting the door. Casey and Rayshawn Sr. think the school could do better. But they're not letting their son off the hook either. Also, also you're making a name for yourself. You're making it to where no one's going to want to help you. They just want their son to feel supported and build the confidence necessary for a positive middle school experience. I don't know. I just know from my, my experience, not all kids learn the same. That's not to say that him being disrespectful in the class or distracting other kids from learning would be. But I would figure, I know when I was in school, they had kids that maybe were struggling a little more. So they took this group of kids, separated them out to where they can get that extra help. The other concern Rayshawn's parents have with Ron Russell is they don't see their son developing relationships with his teachers. That connection piece that's so important in middle school was missing. He does spend time with the school administrator, who he's known since sixth grade. He even reached out to her over the summer to get ready for the coming school year. And we're, like, involved in the teachers, kind of. Does she, like, have conversations with you and stuff? Sometimes. I mean, I was an educator, and yeah, my students, most of them were 17 or older. Casey taught cosmetology. I actually talked to Rayshawn and his parents, masked up and six feet away, at her salon. If you don't have a rapport with your students, you don't know how to teach them. When I asked Rayshawn what teachers he did like, he had a couple of answers. Oh, Ms. McKee. His science teacher. Mr. Chu. His social studies teacher. He's like more fun and like... It's not as, like, strict. Do you feel like you can, like, be honest with him about how you're doing in school and how you're feeling? Yeah. Have you done that with him? Yeah. Rayshawn's parents understand that at a big school like Ron Russell, teachers may not be able to serve each student or solve each problem. 
I, I think that they genuinely care, but I know that their hands are tied. Earlier in the season, we talked about how important teacher-student relationships are for learning. It takes work to build and maintain those connections. And it's even harder online in the case of virtual learning. Most of the teachers I've talked with care, like really care about their students. But like it or not, every teacher brings bias into the classroom. Sometimes it's explicit bias. More often, it's implicit bias, meaning they don't even realize it's there. I talked with Dr. Valerie Adams-Bass, a psychologist from the University of Virginia. She works with Dr. Harris, who we heard from earlier in the episode. Dr. Adams-Bass says middle schoolers need caring teachers to feel connected to school. That's one of the three key ingredients for middle school success. Connection. Teachers that demonstrate and understand a knowledge, a sensitivity to who the students are as individuals, as well as a part of the classroom. They need the opportunity to express themselves and be supported. And that's where stereotypes can get in the way. Adams Bass studies how media stereotypes impact African-American adolescent identity. She says these racial stereotypes affect all of their interactions with teachers, administrators, and other students. And particularly for school, they present Black children as disinterested in education or as unintelligent, not able to think independently. And so that's what you see, not just the students themselves, right? But if that's what the teachers and administrators or their peers see, then oftentimes that is what they're responding to when they're engaging with Black students in reality. Oftentimes, images of Black boys are shown as scary and intimidating, and so teachers perceive them as scary and intimidating. Students themselves see these stereotypes, too. They can sense when they're being treated in a biased way. They may not be able to use the language that we as researchers use, but they're often able to describe incidents. We notice that the teacher doesn't call on us, or we notice when, you know, one student who was Black kept getting in trouble and she sent him to the principal's office, but he didn't do it. But here's the thing. Rayshawn's parents don't see their son's problems as tied to his race. They've talked to other families with kids who aren't Black, and they've had similar problems with the school. Bullying, fighting, the lack of communication. Rayshawn Sr. and Casey say they want their kids to grow up seeing people based on their merits, not on their skin color. Our family is, is super biracial by... Right. Everything. By Everything any kind of from means. Fiji to Mexico to... I want him to just know that if you're a good person, it doesn't matter what color skin you have. And if you're a bad person, doesn't matter what, you know, color skin you have. Base it on the person, not the, the race. That's kind of our just in general in our family, you know. They don't want their kids thinking there's anything holding them back from success. And like, I don't want my kids to develop no crutch. Everybody wants a, a crutch to... It's not for my kids. It's not, you know, I know that I don't want them not to be aware that there's some people have they, they're, they're out there, out there but like that, yeah. it has nothing to do where you can get in 2020. It has nothing to do with what you can achieve. Me and my wife are prime examples. Casey and Rayshawn Sr. both own their own businesses. The salon for Casey and Rayshawn has a delivery business. We just don't want them to ever think that anything can hold them back from anything. Obviously, I don't have a race thing that would prevent me from what a lot of people feel as though would stop them as far as being black, you know. Mm -hmm. But I am a felon, which is huge. Mm -hmm. He 
She's talking about Rayshon Sr. Is black and a felon, which is even huger, mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of people's eyes. And there hasn't been a thing that's came across the table that we wanted to achieve that's we've been stopped in any sort of way. There are a lot of families who feel this way, including mine. I'm biracial too. My mom is black and my dad is white. I don't remember really having those conversations about race at home either. Adams Bass says research shows parents bring up race and racism differently. Black parents tend to prepare their children for growing up in a society where they know that they're going to have racialized encounters based on the color of their skin and their racial identity. White parents' racial socialization tends to be a colorblind approach where they say we don't see color, everyone's treated equally, everyone has the same opportunities, so there's no difference. But for Rayshawn, race comes up at school. And he does feel like he's treated differently as a Black student. But he's kind of reluctant to say so. And so I, I wanted to ask you that, like, straight out, what it's like being a Black male in middle school. You know, I don't really think about it. Do you think that it makes a difference, like, how middle school is for you? Like, is it different for you, you think, than it is for, like, David, who's white? Yeah. In what way? It's like, they kind of, like, single me out, like, a little bit more. White kids. Coming up, we'll get to know Josh, the student we heard from at the beginning of the episode. His family doesn't avoid talking about race. In fact, they talk about it a lot. That was my whole banner, how to work with my black son. We'll be right back after a quick break. The Class of 2025 and OPB's education reporting are made possible by the support of our members. Do your part to help make it happen. Become a sustaining member now at opb.org slash pod. Whether it's debates over how to pay for schools in the Oregon legislature, personality fights at Portland City Hall, or legislative wrangling in Washington, D.C. over who controls public land, political news in the Pacific Northwest never stops. OPB Politics Now brings you the latest events and deep insight every week. New episodes land Fridays. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Josh is a smart and social kid. He's close with his family, especially his mom, Sharnissa. Being at home has given him more time with his older brothers, too. We usually watch movies, we play board games. I play video games with my brothers. So we usually just talk, some good talks at um, dinner. Josh is actually doing better at school now that it's online. His mom, Sharnissa, thinks it's because there are fewer distractions. This, to me, is like an independent learning because, like, again, he doesn't have the distractions. That's what it is. As a parent, I'm saying this is how my son learns. This is what he needs. It comes back to those three things that Dr. Jahari Harris says middle schoolers need to succeed. Independence, confidence, and connection. At home, Josh feels way more independent. At home, there's just more things I can do, like just sit back, relax for a second, then get back to the work, go get a drink of water, or go eat something, Mm -hmm. come back. There's more breaks I can get for myself. His mom says his confidence is up, too. But even his confidence in those classes are different than what they were in the class. And being not, I think, noticed, you know, Uh or just like not a lot of attention paid 
to him because he he has his style of learning. And I think a lot of kids can get left behind. Before COVID, Josh's days at school were exhausting. He was exhausted and he would go to sleep. And so we don't see any of that. We don't have to worry about, am I going to get in trouble? Even then I was advocating on, okay, if he gets any suspensions or anything or any write-ups, you guys call me and we're going to work it out because it was bad. And he wasn't connecting with his teachers. Instead, he was putting a lot of energy into showing them he wasn't a bad kid. I didn't want the teachers to think I was the problem or in the classroom mm. and, you know, live up what they thought of my skin color. And I just want to show them I was better than that. Mm. And I didn't want them by their history to think I was one of them. But even that is problematic, right? Like him thinking that, so you're not the model. And that's the stuff that we will work on. You know what I'm saying? They have to do better, you know, to make right. you feel like you are seen and heard. When Charnissa mentioned the stuff we'd work on, she's talking about something called racial socialization. Here's Dr. Adams-Bass to explain. Really, the, the process that parents and caregivers go through to prepare their children, particularly Black children, to live in a society where they will be judged or treated differently because of the color of their skin. She says this process can give students the tools to deal with these incidents or situations where they might be treated differently because of their race. It's not a conversation every parent has, but Adams-Bass says it's pretty common with Black and Latino families. Sharnissa doesn't use that term, racial socialization, but that's what she's describing. A lot of it was us training him and giving him the language and also being advocates when necessary. Like, so we have to advocate on his behalf and I have to go and yell at a teacher or two because they're not treating him or teach them equity or how to work with my Black son. That was my whole banner, how to work with my Black son. Now it's easier to connect with teachers for both Josh and Sharnessa. And now it's like, I know what's going on with him. I can maintain them emotional. I can interact with the teachers as I need. He interacts with the teachers as they need. So it's like almost the noise is shut out and we can just get to the work. Dr. Adams-Bass says it's no wonder some students, specifically Black students, are doing better in their home environment than in the school environment. There is emotional energy and a cognitive energy that goes along with navigating the spaces where you don't feel welcome or comfortable or where you're consistently having to defend yourself. So you're always on alert, you're always on, or you're always deflecting, so you would be exhausted at the end of the day on top of growing. Josh agrees. Uh, I could sit home. You know, just be myself if I need to. And just think about things that I've done wrong and how I can do them better, especially going into those white teachers. You know, if they if they don't like me, I just act, you know, like a normal student. And he's not exhausted at the end of his days anymore, like he was when school was in person. I'm more energized, want to do more things, you know, want to just lay down, look at the sun. There's more things to do now that I'm away and better-minded stronger mindset and just better. And for now, Josh's parents say they feel their son is safer at home. Rayshawn is doing a lot better at home, too. This fall, both of his parents got calls from Ron Russell Middle School. They were pleasantly surprised because they were good calls. I wasn't sure if he had called the wrong person. <laughs> the wrong person. <laughs> They're like, is this, are you sure? That's so Wait, can you spell his name, please? <laughs> then Rayshawn got Student of the Month in P.E., for perseverance. She's the one that called me super impressed and of him trying to motivate other kids and 
the first, I think, month, he wasn't doing any of the exercises because he thought it was pretty dumb. And then came around and him and the dog do their exercises together <laughs> in the Zoom meetings. And Rayshawn, he's proud of himself. Got an A in my bronze quiz in math. It was about like algebra or something. Well, you came out the other day with your report card showing me. Hmm? Which how, is something he's never done. How was the report card? <laughs> it was good. There was no Fs on there. All A's, B's, and C's, and then the one D. His parents say communication from the school is much better than it has been in the past. But it's safe to say that for every Rayshawn and Josh, there are probably 10 kids really struggling in distance learning. So it's not working for everyone. But eventually Josh, Rayshawn, and everyone else will be back in the school building. How can schools make sure all students are able to get those three basic things they need to be successful? For one, schools could hire more teachers of color. We already touched on that in our episode on teachers. Sharnissa brought it up too. They need to get it together. They need to get it together. Adams Bass agrees and has a few other suggestions. For one, training and professional development for current teachers and staff so they can understand their own bias and work through it. And she recommends groups for Black students to share their stories with each other. So we were able to bring those Black students together where they could talk about their experiences in school. They could talk about, and we also encourage them, how will you manage this when this kind of encounter occurs? How often do these encounters occur? What would you have said? How would you like to say it? Ron Russell has already started something like that for Black parents. Sharnissa's in it and talked about a recent meeting. Only three families showed up. It was very clear that there was a lot of racism and biases. Even with the representation, like no teachers really showed up. Or even with my interactions with them, I didn't feel like they had his best interest. And not like that. I know they maybe did, but you, you can tell there's a lot of racism. One thing they talked about was being able to hire more teachers of color. That's Ron Russell principal Michael Contreras. Reflecting on that, I think that's tough because there's a lot of structural pieces and barriers to that. Like hiring. It only happens once a year. And even then, it might only be for a couple of positions. So representation won't change overnight, or even over a year. Their staff is our staff, right? And, and we admit that we're a bunch of white teachers teaching mostly non-white kids. How do we support our teachers in teaching kids who don't necessarily have the same life experience as them? Even with a majority white teaching staff, one part of the job doesn't change. One thing that the parents brought up is it's still about building that trust. Right? It's still about those relationships. But for those kids that do middle school better online, Contreras is thinking about how they could continue some kind of online offering. Well, shoot, if we can move them to an online platform where they can still get their education and not have to deal with the drama of the school building, that's, that's a game changer for some of our kids. Contreras' changes might help future middle school students but the class of 2025 will be on their way to high school in a few months. We started the Class of 2025 project, following these students, to track Oregon's progress toward the goal of every student graduating high school by 2025. But along the way, we're watching them grow up too. The Class of 2025 is a product of Oregon Public Broadcasting. It's written and hosted by me, Elizabeth Miller, with editing by Elissa Dudley and Rob Manning. The show was produced by Elizabeth Miller, Elissa Dudley, and Rob Manning. Sound design and mixing by Stephen Cray. Music from Audio Network. 
The Class of 2025 podcast was made possible with support from the Education Writers Association Reporting Fellowship. And a big thanks to the Class of 2025 and their families for sharing their stories with us all these years.